0: This is a Triple J podcast. Hello, Lucy Smith here with you for another episode of Science with Dr. Carl. Could a human head survive if it was detached from its body? What the hell is geosynchronous orbit? And hang out because soon you're going to find out where Dr. Carl loves to travel most in Australia. Let's get into it. Dr. Carl, I've just heard one of the scariest stories about... Orcas. Mm-hmm. Now, I find whales generally. Fascinating, But
1: killer whales, they are, they are bastards, aren't they? Well What's going very, on? Yeah, it was, so the first thing is that they're not whales. Mm. It was very clever marketing
0: yeah. by
1: the dolphin family to get rid of them because they're actually dolphins. Big dolphins. And, and so you think of dolphins as, oh, they're sweet and cute and they speak a different language and they're God's children and they love us. <laughs> and so they've managed to hive off the killer dolphins and call them killer whales. Very clever marketing. Maybe the sharks should employ the same marketing agency. True. Secondly, now what were these reports? There was something about a female orca getting injured. Yeah,
0: so this was, I think, in 2016 that a female orca was either injured or killed by a boat. And since then, but particularly this year, this pod of killer whales have damaged a sailing boat off the coast of South Spain. Mm-hmm. And it ad- – so – Producer Nick has let me in on this and he was telling me the story and I was just So, adding to dozens of orca attacks on vessels recorded this year dozens. on Spanish and Portuguese coasts. Researchers say the orcas could be doing this in response to this orca being hurt back in 2016. So it's almost like they're potentially seeking revenge, but this has just been a pattern, particularly in this one area with this pod of orcas. And they're smart. Orcas are very Mm. smart. Is this a thing where animals can potentially seek revenge?
1: I think it's more than revenge. I think it's protection. So I first came across this... With um, my poor daughter Alice getting attacked continuously, always her by the magpies mm. uh, while wearing a school uniform and cycling to school and then we had Giselle Kaplan, who is sort of the god of birds in the southern hemisphere she 's a professor, and she said that the uh, they are so intelligent the magpies that if somebody of a particular with a particular school uniform. Make uh, attacks them or is bad to them while they've got their babies coming through. So I'm leading to more than just revenge. Mm. Um, they will attack that person plus anybody wearing that same uniform who looks the same. So in my case, our uh, family, Alice didn't do mean things to magpies, but somebody with the same school uniform must have, probably inadvertently. And it's not just so much revenge, but more of my baby could have died. Uh, I don't want more babies to die. So uh, being aggressive, I'm thinking to protect themselves, um, to protect the next generation, they can think ahead. They've got this, what they call a theory of mind, where you know what another person is thinking. So I'm guessing, without any proof, and we really need a, luckily I know this word, Cetologist, C-E-T-ologist, mm. uh, person expert in whales and dolphins, to come in and let us know whether there is a history of these creatures trying to preserve themselves. And, and think about this, the amount of harm that we humans have done to orcas is way, way more than they have ever done to us. Yeah. You can't blame But then on the other hand, we don't want to have innocent fisher folk having their boats upset. Um, There there has to be some kind of resolution, but it might take time.
0: Yeah. If you want to check out more on this story, ABC News, you can see it if you just search killer whales. And then there's also another video that's popped up in the last 24 hours of a killer whale ripping a rudder off a boat.
1: Well, I remember my second or third trip to Antarctica, we'd parked up on the ice and we were walking around. And then... Some people reported, I didn't see it, that the killer whales had come right up to the ice and had just shoved themselves up on the ice with their upper body on the ice and the rest of their body in the water and were just looking at the humans from about four metres away.
0: Mm. (laughs) Having a little look, plotting, plotting. (laughs) Who knows? We're going to kick it off with Aaron in Ballarat. Dr. Aaron, welcome. Aaron, what's your question for Dr. Carl? Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Um, My question is... um, if healthy,
2: oxygenated blood is still supplied to the brain, could a human head remain alive if uh, detached from the body? Yes, for
1: a little while. And there were some experiments done during the French Revolution when we had both the beginnings of early science plus a clean cut to the head, the guillotine. And so after a while, uh, one of the scientists said, look, um, I want you to blink after your head's been chopped off uh, with the right eye then the left end, eye then the right eye in that order and if you do that, I will provide money to your family. And the guy said, oh, well, I'm going to die anyway, sure. And so he did that. And then in another case, they, so they were able to build up enough experiments, uh, if you call them experiments or studies, in the sense that consciousness was there for maybe four or five seconds, but anything more than that, no, because the brain does not exist in a vacuum where it's just fed with blood. It's also fed with nerves and information from the body and there's a continuous feedback loop. But the blood is the main thing. Without, After five seconds, you go unconscious. And by the way, with the so-called choke hold, um, which is used by some military and police forces around the world, that is really bad. Um, I've been reading up on that. And let me introduce you to a word called dissection, D-I-S-S-E-C-T-I-O-N. Now, imagine that the an artery supplying blood to the brain has got a thick wall. And what happens when you really, really squash it like in a chokehold, that wall can split and then suddenly part of it can come apart and then block the inside of the blood vessel. And so suddenly you can die three months later from what they call a dissection of the carotid artery or the vertebral artery Whoa. caused directly by that chokehold three months earlier. It, so getting back to can the brain survive, yes, but only for a few seconds with the blood. We haven't done the experiment of getting, say, a pig's head because uh, they get killed to feed us with meat and stuff mm. and, and, and in trying to keep it alive with blood to see how long it can keep going.
2: Okay, so it's sort of the, sort of like the um, electrical signals from the body are needed. They, 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 the body. Yeah,
1: it, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. There, there was a story where they were able to bring back pig he- pig heads to some degree after several hours after they've been chopped off. Wow. But. but um,
0: it feels. Yeah, watch this hmm. space. We,
1: have, we 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 definitely haven't got all the yes on it. There you are. Don't know. There you Don't are. know.
0: Don't know. We got Pierre into Toowoomba. Pierre, <laughs> yeah, welcome. You've got a question about lime cordial and not the band. We are talking about lime cordial. What's your question? Yeah.
2: My question is: when I make lime cordial, I make juice, and after I add sugar. Is adding sugar increase the volume of lime juice?
0: Will adding sugar increase the volume of the lime juice?
1: On one hand, you'd think, of course it does because you're shoving more atoms in there. But it gets a bit more complicated than that. So the lime juice is overwhelmingly water. And water is made of molecules, little boomerangs, uh, H2O, hydrogens on the outside, oxygen in the middle, and the angle of the boomerang is about 104.5 degrees. And so you're thinking that if you shove some lime, so we we'll start off with the lime, and that's a, a big complicated molecules, they then take up more volume and they push apart the water molecules. They fit in between, so you're adding more volume. And then the sugar is a fairly small molecule. Um, it's called a carbohydrate. So it's got the formula of C6 and then H2O6. So carbo, carbon, and hydrate, H2O. Um, and in... Most cases, now I'm I'm trying to think back to my chemistry. I think that what it does do is fit in between the water molecules and push them further apart so the volume increases. But there are some cases where you can add something to water and it actually helps pull the molecules closer and the volume shrinks. So can we have a chemist ring in? What's the magic number?
0: Text oh four three nine seven five seven triple
1: five. But I think that with sugar, it does increase the volume from what I remember from Chemistry 101. <laughs> uh, chemist, we're waiting for you. Does that help, you? <laughs> we're Pierre? waiting for you, yeah. yeah, yeah that's great. That's great. Thank that, you very much. That's my second don't know in
0: uh, a row. That's all right, but you've given us something.
1: Something. you have got something, yeah.
0: And Pierre, gorgeous accent. Oh. We've got Rob here in Dr. Melbourne. Rob. Now, R- Dr. Rob, I feel like this could be a metaphor for life, but what is your question?
2: <laughs> Hello, yes. So... Dr. Carl, my question is about how slow or how still we can stand in the universe. So the Earth, oh. for example, is spinning around the sun. If I slowed down relative to the sun, stood still, the Earth would speed off in front of the Earth would fly away, but then the sun is moving around the centre of the Milky Way. So if I then slowed down and stood still relative to the centre of the Milky Way and the Earth and the sun fly off mm-hmm. in high speed then the Milky Way itself is in motion, I believe, for the general attractor or something. And I'm wondering, is it possible or how still is it possible to stand in the universe? Can I stand still relative to everything?
0: Sounds like a Phoebe Bridges lyric, Dr. Carl. <laughs> uh,
2: you
1: hear upon it, everything is moving. And sometimes we're being drawn to something that we can't even reach. So, let me just explain that. So, firstly, the Earth is spinning on its own axis once every 23 hours and 56 minutes and then to allow time for the Earth as it goes around the sun, for the sun to be directly above at midday, we add another four minutes. So, that's why the day is 24 hours rather than 23 hours and 56 minutes. Now, the Earth itself is moving at 30 kilometers a second around the sun, so it's Orbiting, So we've got the rotation, which is one thing, the orbit, which is another thing. The sun itself is doing around 220 kilometers per hour around the center of mass of the galaxy, the Milky Way. And the Milky Way is one of a bunch of galaxies in what we call the local group, which are all orbiting their common center of gravity... Um, like a bunch of angry bees going around a common center of gravity, uh, maybe a big bowl of nectar or something. And then in turn, that is a part of the local cluster of galaxies, which is then part of a supercluster, And then that whole thing is being drawn towards something called the Great Attractor. And on one hand, we are being sucked gravitationally towards the Great Attractor, whatever that is, look it up in Wikipedia, but we'll never get there. Because it is, the universe is expanding faster than we're being drawn towards the great attractor, so, so it's as though you're on a really long treadmill and you're going forward at five kilometres an hour, but the treadmill itself is going backwards at six. So even though you're going, you know, forward relative to yourself, you're still overall being taken backwards. So to answer your question, Rob, there is no single central spot in the universe, except maybe love. <laughs>
2: So what is the slowest we could travel? What is – because it's sort of – I was wondering about if you think of time, like the mm-hmm. faster we travel, the more time slows down. Mm-hmm. So the slower we travel, the more time would speed up.
1: Oh, no, no. It doesn't and speed up. I was wondering up. how – It just stays at either, one second per second or less. So time will slow down as you go faster and as you go into a stronger gravitational field. So sorry to interrupt
2: you, but go on. Yes. Well – so if the sun is moving though, time, if I was standing still, time on the sun would be a lot slower because uh, of its motion and, and its mass, but also its motion. Uh, so everything moving slows down. So I'm sort of the opposite. So if everything is, if everything is slowing down as it moves fast,
1: uh, as
2: I slow down, but I was wondering how much I could slow down relative right. to as much as possible. Like, is there a... Is there a slowing down? Like I could slow down relative to the to the Earth, slow down relative to the sun.
1: Sure, you could uh, get into a rocket and then move at 30 kilometres per second backwards relative to the Earth's orbit, but then you'd find yourself yeah. getting sucked in towards the sun. Uh, the magic three magic words are relative to what? So you don't move, you move relative to something. In a car, you're moving relative to the ground, which is moving relative to a uh, fixed point in space around the sun, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs>
0: We are answering your science questions. But, Carl, we started off talking about those orcas who may be seeking revenge. Or
1: trying to preserve the young of the next generation.
3: This
0: is true. This is true. Yeah, I've got to stop villainizing these orcas. But Nick from Perth said, orcas have been doing that for centuries. The Byzantines spoke of a whale orca called Porphyrius who spent 50 years sinking their ships. Wow. So uh, who
1: who is this, the Byzantine?
0: The Byzantines.
1: Are they, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, they're maybe 500 BC. Mm. I'm kind of thinking I'm bad on history. Okay.
0: Porphyrios was the name of the orca. We've got some. We've got some history to get into. Dr. Rosie on the Gold Coast. You've got a question. What's up? Yeah. Good morning, doctor.
2: Good morning, good
0: morning Rosie. Um, It's sort of along the same lines as the last one, I guess. Um, uh, just yesterday, I learned that in a couple billion years, our galaxy is going to merge with the Andromeda galaxy. I was just wondering what sort of impact that's going to have on our solar system, if any, and um, if this is being observed um, already you know using today's technology and, and what would it look like
1: uh, we have well firstly, uh, they're going to give it a weird name. the astronomers we're called Milky Way, they're called Andromeda, and so they're calling the combined galaxy in five billion years Milcometer. I'm sure there has to be a better name
2: <laughs> Um, <laughs> now,
1: we can't go into the future except at one second per second, but we can see with our telescopes collisions of galaxies that have happened in the past at various ages in the past. And we've seen all sorts of things like stars being flung around and, and, and tails of uh, stars forming. Um, and so we won't actually have in this collision planet-to-planet planet collision. like we, It'd be very unlikely that we'd even have star-to-star star collision. They will interact yeah. with each other via their gravitational fields and they'll whip around each other a few times uh, over a period of billions of years. And the humans have been around for maybe a tenth or two-tenths of a million years. So we're talking a very long time scale and they will whip around to form some sort of mess at the end. It might be lucky and end up looking beautiful like our galaxy does at the moment. Um, but almost certainly... No star collisions, very unlikely, and planetary collisions, almost certainly not. But our star system uh, could be thrown out of the galaxy. That does happen out of the no? – yeah, so okay. you, do getting all these, you do get all these gravitational effects.
4: Yeah, wow. Okay, that's really interesting. I mean,
0: that's a, a, even assuming that humankind is still around at that time to actually observe it happening, but... I'm um, optimistic.
1: I think we will be around, but in a different form. Uh, we could be, you know, clouds of iron vapour, 50 kilograms in di- you know, sort of diameter of a planet floating through space or some sort of consciousness that doesn't have a meat bag like we currently live in.
0: <laughs> <laughs> a meat bag. Thanks, Rosie. Thanks, guys. We've Thank got Joshua in Inui. Now, Joshua... You've sent me a text with a word that I've never even seen before. What's your question?
4: <laughs> uh, g'day. Good morning, doctors. Um, yeah, so I think it was geosynchronous, mm. if I can remember the text. Um, yeah, so I was wondering, um, you yeah, know, obviously building a tower into space would have all sorts of advantages, but has lots of you know, structural limitations, so being such a heavy thing. But I was wondering if you could establish a worksite in, in geosynchronous orbit, so it's like looked with a certain... Uh, spot, and you build downwards. Um, would gravity actually hold it up as you as you reach down? Would it, read it reach a, a tipping point where you'd have to meet in the middle? Uh, and would it kind of would it offset this the um, you know by, by the time you con- um, actually um, you know connected it, would the gravity actually offset the weight of it coming down? Would it be thrown off and you know maybe even kind of hold itself up?
1: Yeah, so we're talking about a geosynchronous orbit. So there is a certain distance from the Earth when an object is in orbit where it appears to be directly above the same spot. So the International Space Station, 400 kilometres up, goes around once every one and a half hours. A thousand times further away we have the moon at 400,000 kilometres away. It takes a month, which we call a month, to go around the Earth. That's how we got the name month from Moonth. And in between one month to go around the Earth and one and a half hours is some distance where it takes 24 hours or 23 hours and 56 minutes to go around the Earth. And that distance is 36,000 kilometres. So if you put, and this is called the geosynchronous orbit, it's a very popular orbit because all sorts of people want to have their satellites there so they're hovering above the same spot and they can use them for television relay, uh, phone signals, all sorts of stuff. Back in 1908, Sierkowski came up with the idea of building a ladder to space but even then really strong materials like steel, if you build a column five kilometres high at the bottom, It just begins to flow like butter. We now have materials like carbon fibre uh, and nanotubes that are just strong enough to support their own weight. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke writes about this in his book uh, Voyage to Rama and he in 1945 at the end of the Second World War actually postulated using these geosynchronous orbits for um, satellite relay of information way in advance. So the plan is you go out to 36,000 kilometres and you start building your little relay station, a little hotel there in space and while you extrude a weight towards the Earth, which is the carbon fibre rope, mm. you, at the same time, you might have a, a rock on another bit of rope and you just p- play it out slowly. The, you don't want to play it, at, you know, have it going out, Yeah, you know, 36,000 kilometres. You know, you just want something right. really heavy so you only pay it out, Yeah, you know, maybe. So
4: you'd, you'd build back a- away from the Earth at the same time yeah. to keep it Yeah, so safe. you keep the weight
1: neutral at that point and then when it gets down to the ground at uh, the equator, you just bolt into the ground and you've got this tape, maybe the diameter of your thumb, and then you just run an elevator up it and that is the best way to get into space because getting into space via rockets, well, depend, rockets can either burn hydrogen or methane and if they burn hydrogen, the effect on the stratosphere is not that bad. If you burn methane... There is a major effect we're beginning to see and already half the satellites that are functioning and in orbit are Elon Musk's satellites. They're the Starlink. And the launches are just happening way too often and we are getting to the stage where we're doing bad stuff to the stratosphere so we need to think ahead. We need space to go ahead and space research but we need a better way of getting there.
0: We've got Erin from the Mornington Peninsula. Erin, you've got a question about salt. Hi. Um... Good
3: morning, doctors. Good morning. I just wanted to ask you about um, salt water. We went to the beach last week and um, my little one ran into the water, so I ran in after her and got my shoes wet. And uh, my shoelaces are still wet like a week later, even though I've dried them out in the sun, like they've been in front of the heater. They're all dry. Sorry. Um, but yeah, I am. Um, oh, sorry.
2: Little <laughs> um, Yeah, no worries.
3: Yeah, big sister just pushed her. Um, yeah so, but I was just wondering why salt water keeps because i've I've seen it happen on the alone show as well, where the people's clothes don't dry when they're in the saltwater environment. So I was wondering why salt water keeps clothes or material wet, but it dehydrates a lot of things.
1: Uh, it absorbs water like crazy. So if you've got a little bucket of wet clothing uh, that you can seal like a, with a tight lid, if you put the wet clothing on one side and the salt on the other side, the salt will absorb the water from the wet clothing onto itself. But if the salt is impregnated into the clothing, like your shoelaces when you went into salt water, then they will continuously absorb any water that's around Onto themselves, mm. sure, take these shoelaces for a drive into the Australian outback where the humidity is twenty percent they 'll be perfectly dry. But come back into the uh, cities which are normally built close to the coast, and the humidity is sixty seventy percent they will then absorb water out of the air and continuously appear wet so that 's the trouble with trying to dry towels. At the beach, you can get away with it when there's not much wind. But when you're getting an onshore breeze, that onshore breeze is carrying wind, which helps dry the uh, clothes, but it's also carrying salt water vapour. And the salt goes into the clothes, and then you got yourself the situation that no matter how you dry them in the sun, they still feel a little bit damp because they're absorbing water. That's the salt that's absorbing the water. Cure. I know this sounds weird, wash them in salt water. Did you know but did you know I just discovered just recently that you can wash sand shoes in, in a washing machine?
0: Yeah. Mate, did I tell you that? Did you I you told you. me that. You told me that.
1: But how come I got to be this old and never found that out?
0: <laughs> you <laughs> how, how, can ca- wash them. Apparently it's not very good for the actual washing machine. Oh. Apparently sometimes it can be a nightmare for people who need to repair them, but Oh, if because you it's need off centre.
1: So you should have a few other things to try and hold them in the same place. Oh, like a little frame, like a little we oh. uh, yeah, okay, but uh, I, I actually tried it with some furry slippers that I have. And after, do you, can you believe it? After two years, they got dirty. <gasps> I know, I know, that's right? Shocking. So I put them in a the washing machine and they're clean again. So you can put your shoelaces um, into the washing machine, that okay. could be okay, Erin. You're fine with that? Yeah, that's fine. Um, okay. yeah, I thought washing them
3: would do the trick, but I just thought it was weird Hi. that. They
0: were just, like,
1: still holding the water. But, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, at least a happy customer. Thank you.
0: We've got Fiddy from Wagga. Now, you've noticed something with apple. What's going on?
4: Um,
2: morning, doctors. Why does apple taste better when you cut it up? So we've got – my kids and I have got a hypothesis. or well, two theories. You've got more air in around your mouth to enhance the flavour – or there's that deep seated wiring when it tastes better when someone else does it for you?
1: Oh, yeah. So if you're having afternoon tea with sandwiches, it tastes a lot better if you make the sandwiches and then leave the house. And then when you come back, it tastes better. So there's definitely a psychological effect, but you're wondering if in addition to that there is a chemical effect related to the increased surface area of the apple being exposed to the air, allowing oxygen to get at it and then enhance the flavor. Definitely don't know. The person who would know would be a food technologist, mm. please text us. And what's the magic texting number?
0: Oh, four, three, nine, seven, five, seven, triple five. You know, there's something about, for instance, I think my grandma makes the best sandwiches but all all she's doing is just chucking on some butter, ham, tomato, cheese. But it, there's just something about it.
1: But it's also not you doing it. Yeah, yeah. There's someone something about else. having the, and, and the time delay. Oh, you've raised a deep one there.
0: But Fiddy, you're right. Did you ever? <laughs> you know when they made apple slinkies at the school canteen? Oh they yeah, tasted so we good. Have,
2: we have a slinky maker at home. Yeah.
1: And so for those who don't know, you get the apple and you sort of stab it along its north-south axis mm. and then you turn the handle and a little blade gradually moves from the north pole of the apple to the south pole to the other, to the equator and then to the other pole. And it takes off a sliver, maybe six, seven millimetres, ten millimetres wide and about a millimetre thick and you can eat the skin. It
0: decores it and then you've just got this slinky Decoring? Yeah, We've never yeah, had a decorer. It takes the core
1: out, yeah. Yours, yours takes the core out. With the, well. with
0: the apple slinky, yeah. So then you've just got it left over. but it, And so much better than biting into an apple.
1: So you've got a naked apple m- naked on the inside of its core and naked on the outside of its skin. Mm-hmm.
0: Fiddy, we have to ask as well, what apple? What kind of apple are you doing this with? What colour?
2: Oh, type? Red normally. Mm, red okay. Normally. Yeah, okay. we're on Granny Smith's at the moment. Galas have just finished up.
1: Yeah. I I think there's one sort of apple that was invented in Western Australia. Was it the Pink
0: Lady? Oh, maybe. And the
1: the Granny Smith was invented accidentally up at Eastwood when Mrs Smith threw an apple into the backyard that wasn't quite right and it grew into this tree. And it turned out to be an apple that was both good for eating and for cooking, which is a very rare uh, quality to have both in one. (coughs)
0: We've got a bunch of texts coming through, Doctor Carl. Right. I want to come off the back of you mentioned a question, or uh, at least about salt water. Why things stay wet? Can you give mm. us a quick, a quick? Cliff's notes on that.
1: So salt likes to absorb water for various reasons. If the salt is by itself, it will suck the water out of the clothes nearby. But if the salt is impregnated into the fibres of the clothes, then if the humidity is maybe 50%, 60%, it'll keep on sucking water onto itself.
0: Pat just said it just clicked why old work boots always end up saturated when not working in the wet. It must be the salt buildup in your sweat.
1: I hadn't thought of that. Yes. Mm. Wow.
0: We've also got some text coming through about the apple theory that when you cut it up, it tastes better. Could it be because of oxygen exposure? Someone saying cheese always tastes better when thinly sliced. I think the oxygen flavour idea is true. Amber in Melbourne, you said, I reckon apple tastes so much better when you eat it by the sliver. I used a potato peeler and I just keep peeling slivers and it's so good. Someone else with a theory that the skin tastes bitter when you cut it up Your taste buds touch the flesh before the skin, and that's why it tastes so good. We need a food technologist to text us. Patrick in Newy, what's your question this morning?
2: G'day, guys. Um, I just had a question. We're up in Service
0: Paradise on holidays, and I had a question because my dad said he watched a plane go past, and the sound comes obviously after because of something to do with the sound barrier, and he said there was a massive crack as it flew past, and I just had a question about how sound barriers actually work and, like, Ah.
1: Okay, so the sound that you're getting uh, in a sonic boom which I think I've heard only once in my whole life uh, was uh, and I will, is because of a sudden pressure wave. I will now generate a pressure wave that I have been amusing my uh, two-year-old niece with enormously. I'll put my finger in my mouth and then here we go. Right now, my finger wasn 't moving faster than the speed of sound, but there was a strain a sudden build up of pressure so uh, I put my finger in my mouth, I close my lips around the finger, I, I squeeze hard, and then suddenly I release that pressure, and we get that pop sound now, it turns out that the, that uh, hearing anything involves pressure changes, but normally they're just tiny, tiny little pressure changes, and when you have a big pressure change, you can hear that, and so when you've got a plane pushing through the air at under the sound barrier, which is, call it 600 miles an hour, call it 1,000 kilometres an hour, something like that ballpark figure, when it's travelling at less than the speed of sound, you're hearing uh, mainly the noise of the jet engines, but if the jet engines were switched off and it was gliding, you could hear a sort of a, a swoosh, and the air molecules can get out of the way. But when it's going at faster than the speed of sound, the air molecules cannot get out of the way fast enough. You get a build up of pressure, and this sudden spike in pressure gives you this really loud noise so loud that it can shatter windows on the ground.
0: Wow. Yeah, okay. wow.
1: And there was a case uh, of a pilot who told me, an American pilot, how he was able to hear his own. Breaking the sound barrier, so he he was flying over San Antonio in Texas, and there was an air force base nearby, and he was listening to KTSA, which I used to do stuff on, uh, KT San, San Antonio, mm-hmm. and so he was listening to the radio. He then flew over the radio station at faster than the speed of sound, which is kind of illegal, but he was able to get away with it because the military can get away with all sorts of stuff, depending. And uh, he was listening to the radio and then after half a second he could hear his own sound barrier going from his plane through the air into the radio studio, which was soundproof but not against a, a shock wave like a sonic boom, and then into the microphone and then through radio waves into easy-hear Oh, phone.
0: that's crazy. Yeah,
1: so he could hear his own yeah. – that's the only way you can hear your own sonic boom.
0: Wow. Patrick, are you having a good holiday? Yeah, no, nah, it's bloody awesome up here. It's
2: warmer than it is in Newcastle. Can't complain. Funny yeah, nice. that, isn't it?
0: Yeah, damn. We've got Georgia in Ngunnawal Country. Georgia, you've got a question that you've been worrying about for a while. What's going on? Um, so I've been trying to research into it, but I there hasn't been much research into it. Um, my question was where did snakes evolve from in the sense of like what animal did it come from before it became a snake?
1: Right. So we've got life being in the oceans and only in the oceans and nowhere really on land until around 400 million years ago when they started to leave the land. And by the way, about 530 million years ago, we had, you know, like a a huge explosion of all sorts of different creatures, not sure why. So we left the land beginning 400 years ago, about 100 150 million years ago, while the dinosaurs are running. Okay, so the dinosaurs started 220 million years ago. About 100 to 150 million years ago, there were long, skinny creatures, maybe with hind legs, called diapsids. We still don't fully understand this. And then the um, snakes evolved from this. I had a long talk with some herpetologists at a herpetologist conference, herpetologists are people who deal in snakes and reptiles. And I noticed a huge number of people missing part or all of a finger. And I said, how come there's so many people missing part or all of a finger? And they said, well, we like snakes and reptiles. And when we see one, instead of running away from it, we say, oh, look at you. You're a cute little fella. And we accidentally reach out for it (gasps) and it bites the tip of our finger. Off. Oh. Anyway, so that, that, they told me that that's where they that, – that was what I learned a few years ago. It might be different, but they seem to have come from something called a diapsid, D-I-A-P-S-I-D, about 100 to 150 million years ago.
0: Does that help, Georgia? Yeah, that's good. I thought it might have come from, like, I know, like a eel or something like that.
1: Oh, we still don't know how eels fully survive and how they actually will leave in, say, Sydney, Centennial Park, and then wriggle across ground to get to the ocean and then go to somewhere, have babies, then come back again. We still don't know the full story on eels
0: crazy. We've got Ira on the central coast. Now, Ira, you had a question off the back of something we were chatting about earlier with orcas and magpies recognising humans and potentially seeking revenge or fighting Ah. back or protecting themselves. Yeah, or
1: protecting themselves
0: and their babies. Ira, what's your question? Yeah. Good day, doctors. Well, we were
2: talking magpies are black and white, orcas are black and white. Crows are known to be incredibly intelligent creatures and they're a dark black colour. And then you've got a lot of poisonous animals, I guess, like the blue ringed octopus that is incredibly toxic and has bright blue rings. Mm. Um, That seems to be evolutionary as a warning to other animals. But I was just wondering if the colour of the animals has any influence on their intelligence or their abilities.
1: Thank you for that homework. I have no idea. Interesting hypothesis. Certainly, with humans, uh, there doesn't seem to be any link between color, uh, skin color, and intelligence. Don't know. Going to have to go chasing it up. Probably not with the current knowledge we have. But the person who would know is somebody called the evolutionary biologist. Thank you very much, Doctor Ira. I got one. One for Carl. Just a
2: quick personal one. Um, Your favorite place in Australia, Carl? For travel. Uh, uh, I've heard you talking about a troop carrier that you travelled in before. So well, just curious.
1: it's the Australian outback where you're by yourself and then you have dinner and an early dinner and then you lay out a ground sheet. And as the sun goes down and you get toilet, for the first hour and a half, you lay on the ground sheet and you have maybe a little cocoa or something, and you should see about 10 satellites per hour. <gasps> and then the next hour and a half, you see about 10 meteors per hour. Then it's three hours. You've had fun looking at God's television set, and then you go to sleep tired but happy. Oh. Anywhere in I the outback is that. gorgeous.
2: It was beautiful.
0: Mandy in WA, what do you want to know? Hi, Dr. Carl. Hi, Lucy. Hi. I
3: Hi. recently had a four-hour surgery, and I'm really curious to know how did that anaesthetic work?
1: Ah, did you do the thing of counting backwards?
3: No, I was
1: crying at the time. <laughs> oh, why? I
3: just—I was just anxious.
1: Oh, you're lucky uh, that they've managed to work it out, how to use it. Even though, wait for it, Dr. Mandy, nobody <laughs> knows how anaesthetics take away your consciousness. We know how the antibiotics work and aspirin and paracetamol and we know the biochemical pathways by which so many different drugs work. With anesthetics, the anesthetists or anesthesiologists, as the Americans fobbishly call them, go through a whole lot of training on how to use them safely. And they they spend 10 years on this. And they can make you go unconscious and bring you back alive just about every single time and you won't die. But the biochemical pathway, what actually happens, they do not know. But here's a hint. If a gas tends to dissolve well in olive oil, it is probably going to be a reasonable anaesthetic. What the heck? But, we, but, but the, the biochemical pathway where this acts on that and this receptor happens, blah, blah, blah. We don't know that, but we know how to use them safely.
0: We've got Peter here who has just gotten off the water. Peter, where are you? I'm at Middle Harbour, which is one of
2: the waterways of Sydney, which Carl probably knows. So I've been in the kayak uh, observing sea life, which seems to be a bit of the theme of today's discussion, mm. um, and observing some seals, or a seal. And I was just wondering in terms of how seals control, purely that they, they need fresh water, but obviously they'd be ingesting quite a bit of salt water if they feed. And I'm just wondering how they, whether they absorb through the skin and if they eat, how do they actually control the, the, the salt intake? That's what, obviously, if humans don't salt, the we die. So how do the seals and other mammals deal with that?
1: How they deal with it is by not drinking seawater. So with fish... You can have freshwater fish living in freshwater and saltwater fish living in saltwater. And they both deal with being able to drink the local water around in the case of these saltwater fish. What they do is uh, S for salt, S for swallow. So they swallow a huge amount of water. Saltwater comes in, but they make hardly any urine at all because the water goes out through their skin and they get rid of the salt in their kidneys. Whales are, sorry, seals are mammals. They do not drink... Salt water. They might have a little bit accidentally. They get all the water they need from their diet, but they can. If they drink salt too much, salt water, they can die from it.
0: Thanks, Peter. We've got Brooke here in Newey now. Dr. Carl, do you reckon you can answer science and politics in a minute?
3: Go for
2: it,
0: Brooke. What's your question?
3: <laughs> hey, doctors. Um, I was listening to the wind physics episode on shirtloads of Science, and I was wondering if we know why um, different states rely on such different sources of energy. If it's due to you know policies or resources or a mix.
1: Um, Short-term thinking and just like weather, politics and energy supply used to be entirely local. So if you lived in an area where there was a lot of wood or... Black coal like anthracite at Wollongong, 99.9% or crappy brown coal down in Gippsland in Victoria. Whatever it was, you burned it in the short term because that was the cheapest thing to do with regard to storage and getting it to where you wanted to turn it into energy and you didn't care about the long-term consequences. So that's how we've ended up in these circumstances.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Science with Dr. Carl. And if you want a bit more Dr. Carl in your world, We've been answering some of your most asked science questions. Things like, would sea levels drop if you took all the boats out of the ocean? Uh, Why does pasta sauce stain your plastic containers? These are questions we get every week. So we thought, you know what, let's answer them officially. This week, we chat about why it's so cold just after sunrise. So if you want to see it, head to at Triple J on Instagram and TikTok for a little more dr carl and dr lucy on your screen that's me this episode is produced by lou hill and nick gerber and we'll catch you next week dave marchese here from the triple j hack team hey if you love dr carl's podcast like i do you might enjoy the hack podcast as well each day we bring you the news that matters to you from the latest science on climate change to what's happening in politics and news around the world The Hack Podcast. It's your daily fix of the news you need to know. Get it wherever you're listening now.